Hey, welcome back to Intimate Interactions. Let's get back to discussing the ways we share love and intimacy with our fellow humans. Relationships, kink, polyamory, group sex, it's time to unlearn stigma and live our best lives as our best selves. All thanks to my amazing Patreon supporters. Intimate Interactions has no ads but this one. If you want to keep it that way, you can go to patreon.com slash victorsalmon. You get access to exclusive premium content like all of my coping with jealousy stuff. And hey, if that makes you jealous of my patrons, it sounds like it might be time to sign up. Free resources are available at victorsalmon.com slash resources, and book recommendations are at intimatepodcast.com forward slash books. Also, my Patreon supporters don't have to listen to this ad. Now, let's talk about the episode. Hi, Intimates. Today, Al and I chat about relationship anarchy and finding baby-raising nesting partners. Non-monogamy and co-parenting are definitely things that can work together. Enjoy our lively conversation and possibly the dulcet sounds of my trying to discreetly eat an orange while recording. We talk about time allocation and how hard these issues can be to navigate as a woman. We briefly discuss the gender pay gap and how it's getting to a point where it's almost entirely due to motherhood. In equal partnerships where both share domestic duties rather than assuming it's the woman's job, you can think about this as, I have to go do some dishes, rather than, I have to go help my wife with the dishes. Even in those equal partnerships, the man will go to work, and if it's known at work that he's a father, he'll probably make a little more than other men and women in the workplace. The mother, however, will go to work and will make significantly less than her non-mother, female co-workers even. I've included a link as I find it both horrible and fascinating. We also record a session about dream living arrangements and forming intentional non-monogamous communities, but we'll tackle that topic in a few weeks, um, at least if you're a Patreon. For now, I'm excited to have Elle back to discuss non-monogamy and how it intersects with parenting. Welcome, Intimates. I'm sitting here with... You're going by Elle? Yeah. Okay, I love how I have to make sure because I know people by different names <laughs> in, like, different circles. <laughs> so. Elle's good. Elle's good. Wonderful. Yeah. And we're here to talk today about babies! Babies! And... It's so exciting. Yeah! And consensual non-monogamy. Yes. Not so much like a whole bunch of babies being like, you can't be their best friend forever. I'm their best friend forever. But like how adults practice consensual <laughs> non-monogamy around having babies. Right. Yes. Wonderful. So co-parenting and time management. Do you subscribe to one person? Firstly, let's talk a little bit about what co-parenting is. Co-parenting. Well, let me set the stage first by saying I do not currently have any babies. Oh, that's fair. That's, uh, yeah, that's so. This point. is this is the lens that I'm working right. through right now. I don't have babies, but I want babies. Got you. Yeah, this I want is, a family. This is the pre-baby with children conversation. Exactly. Pre-baby. This is the planning stage. This is mm -hmm. my thoughts on it mm -hmm. uh, before babies. Now, right. I know. I'm saying that because I know once. You have babies, things and opinions and... Can shift. It can shift, yeah. Yes. For sure. It goes from like the, uh, I desperately want babies to, I desperately have babies. <laughs> yes. Okay, cool. So in terms of co-parenting, mm -hmm. um, what ideas do you have about what that might look like? Or do you not subscribe to a co-parenting model? Oh, yeah. Well, my... My ideal would be to find a partner who was really excited about co-parenting. Mm -hmm. I, although 
I am starting to entertain the idea of doing it on my own. You're it not the only not, person I've heard say yeah, that. Yeah. It's not my first choice. Right. Uh, I don't know that it's many people's first choice. I could be wrong, but I, <laughs> it's really hard to do yeah. on your own. And I've had extra, uh, I guess, resistance to being a single parent because my mom was a single parent. Right. And so I got to see how hard that was for her firsthand as a child. And she kind of drilled it into me that don't ever do it by yourself. Don't ever get pregnant uh, before you mean to. Uh, and which I'm grateful for because I've never once had a pregnancy scare. I've always been really diligent about my concept contraceptive methods and i've been really diligent and still had pre-pregnancy right. scares yeah yeah so i guess <laughs> i've been diligent and lucky right I'm it's maybe possibly yeah possibly so um or you're just not as easily scared when like a pe- assuming you've ever had like a period be late by like a few days all the time but i know it's yeah. it's never been associated it's with never like been... oh my god am i yeah. pregnant yeah no yeah i guess it just depends on the anxiety level because <laughs> i've definitely been seeing people before in their periods late but like four or five days and they're like okay i'm trying not to panic and i've been dating other people where they've been like oh this is fine yeah i could see depending on their comfort level with their menstrual cycle and Mm -hmm. whether that being late is scary to them and since it's not your cycle and you don't know if four days is a big deal or not yeah then i could see for you you're you're a little bit more in the dark and you're just taking it on their word yep versus for me i'm like yeah okay this is my body doing its thing It'll probably happen when I have some function or <laughs> <laughs> something really annoying. Sure. <laughs> like I know so really inopportune times to spring it on me. I would believe that. I know so little about it as I do not have a uterus. Right. I only know what people tell me. Right. <laughs> Humans presumably with uteruses. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Cool. So. Oh, so you were talking. About, you were asking about co-parenting, co-parenting. and. Uh, so, Do you want to describe what co-parenting might look like for you? Yeah, yeah. That's an interest. It's something that I turn over in my brain a lot right now as I think about, you know, as I'm on a search for a co-parent, mm-hmm. what do I want that to look like? What could it look like? There's also the ideal, my ideal, and then there's also what reality might give me. <laughs> uh, so my ideal would be to find someone who knows that they want to have children also mm-hmm. and who is excited by that idea. And who hopefully shares a lot of the same values uh, that I do. Because I can imagine that matching parenting styles will be very difficult. Yeah, very challenging. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of things that need to line up for the ideal. (laughs) And so that's why I say, and then in reality, you know, who knows what that might look like. Yeah, sure. So how do you view the difference in, say, privilege in work environments or even just in social circles between parents and non-parents? Oh, interesting. Parents and non-parents. Um, like, how do you expect your experience of socializing to is change? going to change? Oh, yeah. I expect it will change probably significantly. I currently lead a very childless life. Mm-hmm. You know, children mm-hmm. are not very present in my current social circle. I do know people with children mm-hmm. and I will occasionally visit those people, but I'll be honest, I don't spend a lot of time around children right now. Mm-hmm. I have in the past, like growing up, I had younger siblings and uh, babysat a lot of 
children. Mm -hmm. uh, but right now, that's not part of my life. So I imagine uh, that would change. I'd probably want to surround myself with more people with kids, I imagine, mm -hmm. to have play dates for the kids and... Yeah, that can be helpful, or so I hear. Yeah. I also do not have any kids. Right. <laughs> but I do have two nieces, right. and I do talk to my sister, um, which is really interesting, talking about parenting styles and mm -hmm. and um, even even potential, not clashes necessarily, but like disagreements of like, are you sure you want to do things like that? Right, <laughs> like, yeah. And oh, like, yeah. The, like why, why not? Like, why is this a big deal? And it's like, oh... <sighs> Yeah, I yeah. think I've 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 heard about those sorts of squabbles, which I imagine are really common. Yeah, I've heard that once you're a mother, I don't know if this goes for uh, for fathers. I don't know mm -hmm. if this happens as much to men as it does to women. But mm -hmm. I've heard mothers get all sorts of unsolicited advice <laughs> and uh, suggestions and criticism about their parenting. Yeah. From I, strangers at the store and at the park and at school and that's walking so past you on the sidewalk. <laughs> yeah. People without kids like us being like, yeah. hey, here's how you should have kids. Right. Yeah. Thinking of it in an idealized way mm -hmm. and thinking about best practices, which I do. And I am already tackling issues in my head, but I know that once I get to them, mm -hmm. I might be sleep deprived. I might be cranky. I might be hungry. Uh, I might, who knows? Totally. And I might deal with it totally different than I'd planned. One of the parents I know says there is the kind of parent you want to be right. and the kind of parent you have resources to be. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So. And, and I trust them. So I'm like, yeah, it, it sounds like it's one really hard and two, you're often working with really little sleep. Yeah. So if you put those two things together, it's really hard to be your best self. Right. You're going to probably have situations that are really challenging. Right. And I say that as a person who had like <laughs> really shitty parenting when I was younger, in some <laughs> respects, in some respects only. Well, I think everyone has some scars from childhood. I don't know sure. anyone who made it out of childhood unscathed. Yeah, in that's some, fair. In some ways or many ways, we've all been a little bit damaged by traumas as kids. And in some cases, a lot damaged. In some cases, a lot damaged. Which I would say in my case. But I mean, it is what it is, right? It I'm not trying to is, say yeah. like more or less than anyone else, but I mean... Not everyone gets to, like, you're totally useless in, like, a very serious way or, like, right. the whole, like, no woman will ever love you. Right. <laughs> and yeah. so on and so forth. Like, yeah. So there's, like, a little damage and then there's, and then like, there's, a lot of damage. Yeah. There's little traumas here and there and then there's repeated drama. Yeah. And yeah. that that's also the case for me is it was repeated, like, year right. after year. You hear the same messages. And at a certain point, it's really hard, even if you're, like, I've never agreed with this and I've always sort of, like, stood up for myself. It's hard not to at least internalize that voice. Right. So that's been kind of an interesting struggle for me. And yet you have found yourself tools to work on these things. Yeah. So that's... And to just like stay alive. And, yeah. And to stay and alive. And continue working on these yeah. things. Yeah. So I don't know if this, how this sounds, but as a parent or as a future <laughs> parent, I'm like, okay, well, that's promising. Right. You're like... Because <laughs> I know I'm not going to... Screw up that badly. Well, no, no. I know that I'm not going to uh, do no damage. Right. I'm going to do my best not to, but I know that I'm going to fuck them up in some way. Right. Or some ways. Yeah. And I think that's pretty but standard. if they can somehow, hopefully, if I figure my job is to give them tools that they can mm -hmm. figure it out later mm -hmm. and like work on it, then I'm doing okay. Yeah. If I can help at least with that side, mm -hmm. give them tools to deal with some trauma, 
then uh, oh my goodness, that, that would be a good leg up. <laughs> totally. Even just having the tools, because yeah. like humans, from from what I've read, um, people that have some small traumas are better off than people who have no traumas. Do those people even exist? People with no traumas? I haven't met any. Apparently do they, they exist? Apparently they do, but if you have no trauma whatsoever in childhood, you're, you're apparently like... fucked with like chronic anxiety as an adult. Really? Not in every case, I don't think, but they're... they're... So, and again, I'm making really broad conclusions based right. on very specific limited data that I've okay, seen okay. from like one specific study. Right. But, but the TLDR is um, this, this one study, which was the... Um, I read about it from, what was it called? Was it Childhood Interrupted, I think? I'm going to have to look, but I'm pretty sure it was Childhood Interrupted. Okay. And they were drawing conclusions about adverse childhood experiences. And the mm -hmm. survey was very non-granular. So it was like, there were, I think, eight or ten questions. And it was like, did you have parents, like, repeatedly humiliate you at home? And that's just, like, one question. Right. Um, and if you answer yes to it, you answer yes. And if you answer no, you answer no. And that's okay. it. Like, so you get a score of one or zero on each question. And you add right. them up, and that's your adverse So you childhood. have a score of zero. You've apparently had no trauma. Well, no, like, really significant trauma. Right. Okay. And not having... In fact, I could literally just Google this and see if I could find it. Um, wow, that was really amazing, DuckDuckGo. Thank you for finding that so quickly. <clears throat> now I just have to find the actual questions, but I found something on A scores. Yeah, so one interesting thing about the study is, like, so you get this score from, like, 8 to 10, right? So apparently nearly 40% of participants had been exposed to two or more. Um, and about 12 and a half participants, about one eighth, had been exposed to at least four. Right. And individuals with an A score of four or higher were, so this was co-relationships, right? But in the book, it's almost presented like a conclusion. But the interesting co-relationship is like 260% like more likely to have obstructive pulmonary disease, 460% more likely to experience depression, 1,220% right. more likely to attempt suicide. Right. And I was like, oh, this is in this, my life makes so much more sense now. <laughs> right. um, but it was, yeah. it was just really neat to see like that. I remember being like so upset when I saw that statistic, mm -hmm. but I'm, I, we totally gone on a tangent. <laughs> It is a daunting uh, thing to think about, like, but, all this potential trauma that could happen. Yeah. And that you could be the cause of it. Yeah, but, I mean, you have to screw <laughs> up in four full categories to get, like, the whopping 1,220% increased risk or, or increased um, incidence of attempted suicide. You know what? I think this is one of the things that we're discussing right now is one mm -hmm. of the main reasons why a lot of... One of them. Why a lot of people are choosing not to have kids. Mm -hmm. It seems like such a daunting task it seems so uh well you know that you're going to screw up and who wants to start an endeavor knowing that you're going to fail at part of it and that it's going to be incredibly taxing. And it's going to be really hard and like, then it's going to be super expensive there's the rick and morty <laughs> episode that touches on this where um, morty ends up being an accidental father oh yeah but but his kid ages super quickly <clears throat> and he's just trying to like keep his kid from like going outside and he tells his kid there's like poison gas outside that he can't go outside right um because he's an alien um, but then at a certain point, like his kid, but the best part is the ending bit of the credits where literally his kid is all grown up and is writing this book. And it's like my father, the monster. Ah, uh, right. Yeah. 
and and he's like this seasoned adult and he's talking like in like really um eloquently about like his writing career and how like he's like is is your book um my father the monster autobiographical and he's like well i think all writing is to some extent it's just so funny like listening to their banter and at the very end of like read mortimer smith jr's book my father the monster it cuts to morty who's like so upset watching this because he was trying to protect him so hard and just like fucked up so badly and he's like i just hope he's eating enough <laughs> right. It's just such a good one liner. Uh-huh. But the the point they get across in that episode is parents are just kids raising kids, which I think right. is so interesting. Yeah. Oh yeah. I I remember when I was a kid having this image that once you grew up and were an adult, you I don't know, you somehow pass some sort of threshold. You were somehow now an adult. Mm-hmm. Uh and then I grew up and that never really happened. Mm-hmm. I still feel uh like the same inside, mm-hmm. still feel like that teenager inside. Well, I have so much more skills now and can express myself better. And there's a lot of things. I still feel like a teenager. Yeah. Yeah, I hear you. I, I think even when I was like a kid, I felt really old for my age. Right. Just because like the shit that I experienced, I just felt like aged and jaded from a very young age. Right. And I don't feel like I've ever grown up from that place. Mm. So either I'm like stuck at seven. <laughs> Or I felt like I was, like, 37 when I was 7, and I still feel like 37. Right. And I'm 32, so I'm <laughs> I'm coming for you, baby. Well, when you're 38, you'll be laughing. Yeah, I know. I'll be like, I feel very young for my age. <laughs> my whole life I've been waiting for this day. Uh, yeah, so, so it's daunting. Parenthood. Yeah, it's daunting. And so uh, I'm running into some interesting things that I think our generation there's a lot of people who are choosing not to have kids yep uh also the bar is higher like my my parents did not have the kind of scrutiny or criticism right? that like you would have if you go and get pregnant and right. have a child like, yeah well also you could let them go play at the park mm-hmm. like go go play like alone and come back for dinner uh you can't do that now which i i hate that that whole thing i still know parents that do that good for them and and they're, they're, this end value of two, their two kids are fine. Right. Um, but, you know, it's a, it's a percentages thing, right? And I think there's also that fear of judgment from other parents. Oh, yeah. Well, and there's the fear of actually legal uh, ramifications of your children being taken away. I've seen this really? uh, in news. Of just letting your kids go and play at the park? Yeah. Yeah. There, there was a case, uh, I think it was wow. in the state somewhere, of two kids were walking home from the park which was about a block away and the cops pulled them over and took them into the station and that's unthinkable pulled the the parents in and questioned them for hours wow because they were walking home from the park without any supervision right which i used to do all the time as a kid me too i used to walk to school alone yeah to and and from school which was like 15 20 i mentioned that i was a raised by a single mom Mm -hmm. so i would walk my myself home from school let myself in with the key Mm -hmm. watch tv for a little bit until my mom came home that's not an option i believe that's called being a latchkey kid that's not an option for me not that i'm saying that that would be my ideal but sure how like even if it comes to it where you're in a pinch and you're like oh i'm not going to be home for these two hours here's a key yeah. It's like the amount of judgment surrounding that that situation. It's not just judgment. You could actually have child right. services come and take them away, right. which is the scary part. You know, yeah. judgment is scary all on its own. Sure. But when there's institutionalized ramifications, yeah, that's uh, that's a big deal. It totally is. 
Yeah, so it sounds like single parenting is definitely not your ideal. It's not my ideal, uh, but I am circling back to it now. Because you're thinking, if I can't find someone in the next exactly. three, four years. Yeah, exactly. Like, I, I'm i 34, yep. and as a woman, I have a time limit. Mm-hmm. And that's something that men have the privilege of not having to deal with. You know, obviously, it's men not as significant. Age, yeah. but you can still sire children assuming that you can still size children because more and more men are also becoming infertile and there's right. also the issue of like being exposed to plastics when you're really really young well Certain i think more and more the population is becoming infertile probably yeah. so it's not just a yeah. men versus women thing so yeah, it's, yeah, yeah. it's across the board for both genders and i don't know if that's equal or anything like that but right. uh, there's pro- i mean there certainly is privilege in that when you're in an older body bearing a child is not as easy and you have no. to deal with that situation for a very long period of time right so like obviously i'm not trying to say that this is the same for men i'm just trying to mention like also like some men are infertile so yeah but some women are infertile too that's what Absolutely. i'm saying so mm-hmm. But many men are not, or continue to be fertile and can have babies. You know, I've heard of somebody just the other day who had their first child, a man who had their first child at 50. Yeah, that's pretty old. And had two kids. Wow. You know, obviously with a younger woman. So Mm -hmm. I am running into this where I'm dating and I'm looking for someone who wants to be a co-parent. And a lot of the men that I am chatting with there's this attitude of, well, like, I'm not sure yet. Can we just date and see where it goes? And I'm like, you know what? I don't have that luxury. You don't have that time. Yeah. I, th- I was doing that until now, right? right. That's what I've been doing. <laughs> <laughs> and I have ended up with two lovely partners, mm-hmm. uh, neither of whom want kids. Right. So I'm like, okay, for one, one, a time, time situation, I don't really have time to have mm-hmm. even more partners you know i could i can go and find another partner but i can't i, can't I don't want to have four or five partners with a certain amount of time commitment and right. have a child yeah i think when people first look at non-monogamy they're like i could have like a billion partners, All the partners I want. and you're yeah. like uh, i don't think you, your life has the space for yeah, that amount there's of emotional still only labor. a certain amount of time in a week yep so as lovely as partners are yeah <laughs> But, you know, if you want to ha- maintain a certain amount of intimacy, yeah. at least for me, mm-hmm. I that involves maintaining a certain amount of time spent together and a certain amount of uh, activities done together. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. I mean, different people have different love languages, but yeah. I think like some amount of focused time yeah. is always going to play into things. Maybe, maybe not. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I don't want to speak for all humans. Yeah. But, like, I mean, it depends what needs you're getting met, but. That Mm -hmm. is an important thing for me for Mm -hmm. some relationships. So anyways, what I'm finding is that a lot of men want to just be able to take their time. I'm like, that's lovely. And it's really nice that you have that privilege, that you're not feeling rushed. Mm -hmm. You know, they're the same age as me. Maybe they're older than me. And they don't know yet. And that's the privilege that men have is they don't have to decide right away. Right. They can just... And if they decide later when they're 40, they, they can, can just choose find to a date younger woman and who's in the situation yeah. you're in. It's yeah, like, exactly. I need, to, I want to have kids. And if I, yeah. did, if I need, if I am going to have kids, I should do so in the next few years. Right. I'm looking for a committed parent. They're like, cool, I'm 40. I'm ready yeah, now. Yeah, I've, I've decided I'm ready now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, that's definitely I a frustration of mine. <clears throat> and I don't think that's something that will be ever really fixed. No, it won't be. So it sucks. Unless uh, we somehow figure out a way that uh, 
just have growing babies, babies forever, in like a like, tube. Like you mentioned. I like it. Baby, uh, bodies age. Yeah. My body is not as resilient as it was when I was in my early 20s. Well, maybe That's one day sure. we'll hit the singularity and they can put your consciousness in a younger version of yourself. And then you can be like, I'm ready to have kids. And then as soon as you have had those kids, you can be like, okay, I've decided I don't like how my body is. Or maybe you really do like your body post-pregnancy. But depending, you can just be like, you know what? I'm going to shell out for just another younger version of myself. <laughs> like now I have like the energy to carbon? run around. Yes, like altered carbon, <laughs> new skin. Now I can run around with my kids. Like, right. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so, mm. anyways, that's mm. uh, that's one of the realities that I've been noticing, um, and why I've been now circling back to the idea of, I guess, entertaining the idea of doing it on my own. One of the things that I've noticed. So I was so so against uh, being a single parent because mm-hmm. my mom was a single parent and mm-hmm. she drilled it into me, don't do it, it's too hard. You know, never have a baby until you have a partner and you're ready. But she also wasn't non-monogamous she, with the community. To yeah, she her. also was 21 when she had me mm-hmm. and didn't necessarily have all the skills or life experience that I have now, being older to start. Mm-hmm. Uh, she didn't have a career that she had built before that so like mm-hmm. i'm realizing now that served me really well when i was younger and got me to the point where i am now but i think it's i realized it's time to circle back maybe i won't decide to go that route but mm-hmm. maybe i will but it's worth at least examining so now you cool so you've gotten yeah. to a place where you're like this is worth thinking about again yeah and from okay. a different uh, mindset cool instead of just no this is a bad idea realizing no, that was a bad idea at that age. Right. But maybe now it's a possibility. Do you have the luxury of being able to talk to your mom about it still? Yeah, I do. Awesome. Yeah, I did talk to my mom. You know what she told me? <laughs> <laughs> I love my mom. Let's put that out here right first. She's a wonderful woman. Uh, she taught me as I mentioned, to always be really diligent with my contraceptive and to be really careful and responsible. And so I have been, I have been a very responsible person in that um, area of my life. Fantastic. And uh, the take home message from my conversation with her was, you know, if you just got knocked up, (laughs) like had an accident. Oh no. Then you'd have a baby. Oh no. Are you kidding me mom? Are you kidding me? It seems like that was her like her one way of having a baby. No, she she uh, <laughs> she planned me. Oh. Yeah, she planned me, but then my mom and dad split up when I was a baby. I see. So she had not meant to be a single mom. She had she, meant to be a mom, but not a yes, single mom. Exactly. Yeah. Got you. So that was not her uh, way, her intended way to do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep, men definitely have a lot of luxury around right. pregnancy. Right. I was definitely having a conversation with one of my friends who is considering trying to get pregnant mm-hmm. um, because they are um, non-binary and happen to be a proud uterus owner right. and might at some point look at getting pregnant right. even though they've been on T. And this is not an uncommon story. So it could really be about anyone, but the point is, 
men have the luxury of being able to step into situations like that and say, I'm happy being a donor. Right. And donate, have a kid, and then say, yeah, you know what? This is sort of how, like, like negotiate essentially how much involvement. Right. Like, yeah. I want to be a father one day a week or yeah. two days a week, right? Or like, on the weekends or, yeah. yeah. And I suppose from some places it's possible to do that from being a mother as well. But the stigma difference. Oh, yeah. It's just not the same. I saw a great meme just the other day that was uh, to the effect of women, uh, we treat women, let me see if I can get the wording right. It was to the effect of uh, we expect women to work like they don't have kids, but we expect Parent them to like mother like they don't work. Yep. And it's, I was like, oh man, that's it's, it's that whole, true. It's that whole double standard of like women fighting for the right to work and then right. saying, well, I guess you can you can finally have this right to work, but you still have to do all the other things. Yeah, you still have to parent like your stay-at-home mom. Right, which is absurd. But, <laughs> but you still have to now have a full-time job, too. But it's embedded in the language of our culture, even the way people say, like, oh, I have to go help my wife with the dishes. It's like, you're not right. helping your wife with the dishes, you're doing your fucking dishes in your yeah, own home. Yeah, because you live here yeah. and you eat. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Especially assuming that both of you work. Right. Like it's not like it was in the 50s where you would have like right. a person whose job it was to do the housework and raise children. Right. Not that I necessarily agree with that lifestyle, but it was a lifestyle. You know what? I'm going to be honest, and this is not a popular opinion, mm-hmm. and this is something that took me a long time to admit. I would love if I could just, that could be my job. Sure. Would be to raise sure. kids and keep a home. That took me so long to be able to say out loud because I yeah. was raised by a feminist woman who was very hardworking Mm-hmm. And uh, it was not a popular idea to be a stay-at-home mom. Right. Uh, Whereas, so. like, to me, and again, I don't really get a say because I don't have a uterus. <laughs> right. Um, so I'll do this, the, the cis dude thing and offer unsolicited opinions. <laughs> <laughs> but in a sense, it's solicited because we are having a conversation yeah, about, about it. it. As long as it's okay with you, I'll be like, <laughs> I was okay with it, audience. Um, which is, yeah, that feminism should be about like empowerment. And if a woman chooses to say like, this is the type of lifestyle I want, I would think feminism would be in support of that. Yeah. Even if that lifestyle is not one that all women would want to experience. Yeah. Yeah, I would love that. That would be my, that has been my dream since I've been a girl, Mm -hmm. but I don't know if that'll ever happen. Mm -hmm. So I'm, I'm planning for still having to work my butt off. Mm-hmm. But I also want to have a baby still. Or babies. <laughs> you start thinking about babies and you're like, one baby, two babies, three babies. Uh, uh, you know uh, what? Uh. Honestly, and this ties into talking about babies with non-monogamy. Mm-hmm. Honestly, my, I really want a baby. Mm-hmm. But I would like it to have siblings. Okay. And... That could mean being part of a poly exactly, community. Yeah. I have siblings. They're half brothers mm-hmm. and I consider them my full brothers. I actually have other half siblings as well that I don't consider really, I don't think of or list off when I'm. So what my brain is doing right now is thinking about ways of reducing risk because as a person with anxiety, I do that. And I was like, if you just had one baby with four different men and had all four of them contribute oh a, my God. a certain amount. Dream come true. Right. They could each contribute a certain amount to living expenses for you and the kids and then your full-time job would be to raise four babies with different men and then they would all have siblings oh four babies gotcha no i mean maybe not four (laughs) however many you want but you could literally have one each with a different with a different father if if that were uh yeah if everyone were into that 
You could start like a self-employed company to be like, <laughs> to be like Elle, Elle and her bebes. And then they could all fund this company. They would all be like equal shareholders in the company and support your existence. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah, because then yeah. they could all come and visit for like a day or two. You know what? I would love to have a nesting partner. I would love to have someone who is really uh, into being there up to their elbows with me. Up to their elbows. Oh, yeah. And poop and vomit and baby yep. food and, you yep. know. Because <laughs> it doesn't look pretty sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So that's one one way that I see Polly possibly being a really lovely thing is that I say poly, uh, poly non-monogamy kind of interchangeably. And specifically like polyam rather than the poly shortening. Have you heard about this? No. So um, there's a movement to change the shortening of polyamory from poly to polyam, um, so as not to infringe on the namespace of Polynesian folks, ah, who are like, okay. "Hey, I'm super interested in finding people interested in my culture in my oh, local region." They're like they searching polyamory. for poly events, right. and they're like, "Oh, hey, a whole bunch of middle class white folks having sex with each other," <laughs> <laughs> which is like, <laughs> I mean, it's that's, that's it's kind intense. of. A sh- Kind of a shitty reality in some ways for people who are Polynesian, but at the same time, I'm like, okay, it's also okay, not no, a, I hadn't heard that. that. Thank you hu- for telling me. Sure, and it's also not a huge hardship to go to Polyam, so. Right. Yeah. So, anyways, you're saying that to mean like ethical non-monogamy as a family. Yeah. So, I'm open to having more than one baby, mm-hmm. uh, but really, just I just I want at least one. Got you. And I wanted to have siblings, ideally, because I have siblings and I really value that. Totally. I really value that experience. And I always feel a little sad when I say that. And uh, there's people who are possibly listening who don't have siblings. Because... Mm-hmm. Uh, I have siblings. And you know, you're like, eh, take it or leave it. <laughs> That's not what I'm saying. No, I, I love my siblings. I think, I think it's, it's, it's easy sometimes when there's a big age gap to have like really just different lives oh of course yeah and and i definitely think i've drifted apart from my siblings a little right um and i'm not sure that any one of the three of us is especially healthy right i think the most functional healthiest one is possibly my sister who has two kids and is in a career and is is happily married and has a mortgage and is paying off the house like is doing the thing like the traditional standard, the what tra- you're supposed to do. Traditional standard thing. literally owns a house, not in Vancouver, but are you, still. Are you saying that you think she's the healthiest because she's living up to that standard? Because she's like capable of it. Like if I were capable of living up to that standard, and I was like, no, I choose not to do that, then that would be huge, right? Then uh-huh. I could then. I, but like, I don't even have like that kind of financial security or that kind of like and i mean i've made a conscious decision not to get married and right. and have that kind of quote right. unquote relationship security i feel like my relationships are fairly secure but not the same as a marriage i guess it's just different right. yeah 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 the uh financial security that you get from a partnership is mm-hmm. pretty huge yeah, like having a nesting partner is big. Yeah, oh yeah. As someone who, uh, I was married at one point, and uh, I am now solo poly. Mm-hmm. So I have partners, but I don't live with any of them. Sopo. 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 <laughs> nice. Uh, and uh, I don't share finances with any of them. And so it's um, sometimes challenging 
uh, when, because uh, one of my partners does have a, uh, one of their partners is a nesting partner and a financial partner, and I will sometimes feel the, um, I guess, the resentment of, like, just the system and how they get to share all the bills, like, all the internet and the phone and the car bills and all this stuff uh, that I'm just paying for by myself. And you can have, of course, as a relationship anarchist, you can have a domestic partner that does just live with you, even if that person isn't necessarily a sex partner or totally. a romantic partner. Yeah, but totally. it is ideal if you are going to have kids that they would be involved in that in some way, if they're going right. to be living with those kids. Right, yeah. Even if their involvement is just as, like, Donor. Fun, fun aunt, right. like Julia, who's just, mm, like, right. kooky Aunt Julia that, like, lives in the same place that we live in and occasionally takes me to the zoo, you know? <laughs> <laughs> like... I like how even as I'm saying this, you're like, I could go for a kooky Aunt Julia. <laughs> uh, honestly, right now, I feel like I am entertaining many possibilities. I have a thing that I want. I have the ideal picture. Mm-hmm. But I know that uh, just with what life brings, I need to be somewhat flexible. So tell, I'm... Me, tell me a little bit about poly households where like poly maybe you have yeah. like three or four families living in a big house together. Right. Or even two or three families. Yeah, that uh, has definitely been a dream that I have had is to have some sort of, well, the dream that I've had was, is like, I really love the idea of having a little piece of property that you have a main space with Mm -hmm. in like a big, uh, big kitchen, big group space. Like co-living or whatever it's called. Yeah. And then, uh, either just like a little apartments off of that or little, Mm -hmm cottages or whatever so because i want my own space especially having lived on my own for the last six plus years yeah oh man (laughs) you want your own space i want some of my own space uh i don't want to live with six people on top of each other with not having any of my own space yeah but it's also nice to have like a central congregating area exactly yeah so that you can have meals. meals and have games nights and have just social time together and you know family time so you have like a a family or community space and then you have like separate living spaces or like even just yeah i mean a bedroom is an option but it can feel a little small yeah depending on the size of your bedroom because i have ludicrous bedroom right now yep having like an ensuite bathroom oh yeah having your own bathroom is a big big deal like this this bedroom with the ensuite isn't like apartment sized but it's like parisian apartment sized (laughs) so it's like yeah it could work yeah yeah having your own bathroom is huge just like i think if i had like a plug-in range on this side oh yeah you get an instant button here oh yeah oh yeah Just need to like don't wheel, get me started on instant pot. Just or, like wheel uh, wheel cookers. a fridge into my bedroom. Don't get me started. Put it on right pressure next cook- to the bed. That's a whole episode right there. Of you just I, like I, raving I, about oh, how much yeah. you love pressure cookers. <laughs> Quick, change the subject. Change the subject. <laughs> Quick, before we do a spot and have to start like asking them for money. We keep promoting your products. We want you to pay us. Send us free instant pots. <laughs> oh my goodness. Um. So, you mentioned that. So you wanted you mentioned you wanted your kids to have siblings, and I just yeah. wanted to paint a clear picture for people who may not be familiar right. what um, what living with other poly families can look like and what the social benefits would be to your kids. Right. If you had yeah. So kids. when I say siblings, um, I am not meaning 
um, 100% blood siblings necessarily. Mm -hmm. I'm open to that, you know, mm -hmm. having multiple kids, but I'm also open to half siblings or step siblings. Mm -hmm. You know, my two brothers are half siblings and I don't think that I would feel any differently about them if they were full blood or mm -hmm. not. Mm -hmm. So part of it's, it's just living together. It's just together, the fact that we grew up, up together. together. Yeah. yeah. It's the fact that we grew up in the same household and we experienced a lot of the same start in life, mm -hmm. even, even though there's a big age gap, I'm eight and 11 years older than my brothers. So we didn't have the same start because by the time they came around, um, I had a stepdad, their father. And so they had two parents and an older sister and we were much better financially when they came around because there was two adults all of a sudden instead of just one. So they had a very different start, but they had the same, I guess, social training or a lot of the same social training mm -hmm. and all that time together. I, I was changing diapers by the time I was eight. Wow. I actually got to see both of them being born. Wow. Which was pretty, uh, That's intense. memorable. Memorable. <laughs> yeah. It's pretty memorable and, and really special, really scary, but really special. And you still want to have kids. And I still want to have kids and maybe, I don't know, maybe that's part of it. You're like, this looks painful. <laughs> Terrible. I, I think I want to do this. <laughs> <laughs> Solid. So you were mentioning time allocation as a thing mm -hmm. in our pre-interview, and I'm interesting interested if you could touch more on like what time allocation means to you in the context right. of parenting. Well, so one of the things as I'm as I'm starting to talk about this more, this was this has been a something that I've wanted since I was a kid myself. I, mm -hmm. I've always known mm -hmm. that I've wanted kids. And, uh, but I kept it like a huge secret. I didn't talk about it. I, I talked about this with my mom just recently and a few months ago. And she's like, I think this is the first time you've ever mentioned kids. I was like, oh, really? Like it took getting kept over 30 to, to myself. Like, yeah. Uh, I've always known, but I wasn't talking about it because I wasn't ready. I wanted to do other things. I was just kind of keeping that to the side. And now I've decided, okay, it's time. I want to move on this. So I'm starting to talk about it i'm starting to think about it i'm starting to plan and now that i'm talking about it more often one of the questions people are asking a lot is how does that work with non-monogamy mm -hmm. are you still going to be non-monogamous when you have kids mm -hmm. what will that look like will you still see your existing partners if you find a new partner to have babies with mm -hmm. <clears throat> um and the short answer is you know i don't know yet mm -hmm. but i have ideas and those I can share with you. Yeah. So as far as for time allocations, I have intentions to to maintain relationships with my current partners mm -hmm. because they um, are people I am I enjoy and like in my life. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm aware that a lot of things are going to change about my life when mm -hmm. I have a baby. A lot of things. Mm -hmm. So I don't know what that's going to look like for time allocations. When I think about other partners, like, um, sorry, other styles of relationships, yeah. a, a lot of folks, when they first have a kid, maybe their, their quote unquote primary relationship or their um, monogamous relationship, that they do stop having sex or maybe they do sort of stop dating right and that's not necessarily a desired outcome it's just lack of sleep lack of time and i don't think that changes if you're monogamous or not no, monogamous. I, don't think it does, so yeah. I think i 
like, and again, as someone who's not a woman and who has never had kids, I would expect it to not be that different from monogamy to non-monogamy. Yeah. So I think there will be a lot of changes and Mm -hmm. uh, I don't know what that looks like really. Mm -hmm. Yep. That is understandable. You were talking about disability after 40 in women, and I'm curious if you could touch on that piece. Mm, Yeah. uh, So this was a conversation I was having with a female friend recently who is in her 40s, and we we were talking about babies and finding partners and yada yada, and she was sharing with me that this phenomenon that is that her and other friends she knows are experiencing that once they're over a certain age, mm-hmm. it's like they're invisible. Oh. To men, uh, just in general, but especially to men. Mm-hmm. Uh, that, you know, in the past you could go to, you know, an event or go out on the street and a man would at least look at you or mm-hmm. like look at you like a human or like a just check you out basically so look at you like a piece of meat or look at you like a human just uh, i don't know this is her story okay that's fair enough look at you sure versus her acknowledge your existence yeah whether that's just like a human or whether that's like a prospective date or who knows sure but like you would get an acknowledgement of your existence yeah uh and she's saying now uh, it's she feels like she's a potted plant yeah like the eyes just glaze right past her. Like she's just a part of the furniture, like a curtain or. That's kind of how I feel all the time, but I'm sure this is like unique and special. And I don't want to like infringe on that story, but it's, I'm just hearing like my experience reflected back at me. Like, yeah, like nobody pays any attention to me really when I'm out in public. You know what? I don't know if this is a, a thing that maybe as women, um, as a younger woman, you're looked at a lot uh, mm. by men. Mm-hmm. And so you, there's a certain level of, like, you grow accustomed to that amount of attention or acknowledgement. And then the change and then happens. It changes. And maybe this is what men feel like all the time. I don't think so, because I know that. Some men uh, do get looks. I know that I've heard from men that they will, from certain people, that they will get lots of attention so i don't know where it must be just me (laughs) no i'm just teasing and and i'm sure it will change and i'm a 40 year old man Mm. well see that's the thing it's different for men oh that's fair that's fair and i'm not a 40 year old man there's the whole silver fox uh term which is applied to men it is not applied to women yes that's true it is you get gray hairs as a woman it's uh it's there's no sexy nickname for it right Yep. Think of a sexy nickname for it. Um, an albino <laughs> cougar. <laughs> yeah, it's like even that no, is like yeah. right. Yeah. Yeah, I don't really know what to tell you. You're totally right. So, anywho. I mean, I know some some folks are into older women for sure. Oh yeah, for sure. Um, and it's not like sex drive turns off or anything. No, I don't believe so. Um, at least Yet to see. Um, the the one older woman that I interviewed on this show yeah. um, mentioned like yeah of course like older people still have sex right. and like sometimes use more lube but like right. ultimately you still are like a sexual human being and yeah. this is just a part of like expressing you know who you are right yeah and I was like okay cool yeah that makes perfect sense to me in fact I specifically asked her to like make that point because I was like yeah right 
is a thing. So yeah, that sucks. I'm sorry to hear that there's that feeling of like invisibility because that must yeah. be pretty shitty. To and go I don't through. know if that's a fertility thing. And like maybe if this goes back to the point that we were making earlier is that typically, and there mm-hmm. are exceptions, but typically you are considered past your childbearing years at once you're 40 mm-hmm. or like but you'd think for men who don't want to have kids that would be the sexiest kind of one of, of all think, you think you'd think yeah i don't know mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> don't ask me sure that's fair <laughs> yeah yeah i mean i i typically prefer whereas the point i was getting with that whereas men are fertile you right. know, if they're fertile can, can be they fertile can later. be fertile until yeah. they're 70 i've heard Really? Yeah. I don't think most people try and have kids at that age, but I have heard that that's an option. Yeah. I mean, I guess sperm are generated like in the last like month or however long, a few months. Yeah. And that might not be. Yeah. I don't, I haven't looked at statistics on that. Provided that a person's really, really healthy. It is. And has had really good access to testosterone boosts as they are solely, solely losing Mm -hmm. their testosterone as they age. Like I would think the proportion of fertile men who are 70 is much smaller in the general population than the proportion of like 25 year old men. But think of, is there a 70 year old woman that is fertile? I mean, potentially for donating her eggs because there have been surrogate moms that have carried eggs from, I think, 60 year old women before. Oh, really? Yeah, but that's also just like a special case and you need money for it. But I would probably suggest if you're a seven-year-old man and you're convincing someone to reproduce with you, you probably need money for that too. Right. In one form or another. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, technology isn't exactly catching up, but... It's getting better. I mean, having that option as a six-year-old woman is a thing. It's getting better, yeah. 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 So that's, that's a thing. Yep. Um, what else did I have to ask? Right. In terms of fertility testing, I'm super curious what that process looks like for women. Oh, you know what? I, um, I went to my doctor recently, Mm -hmm. uh, and because, and I mentioned this to you, but I'll say it here is the biggest gamble that I face is I am going to, I'm making all these plans. I want to change things so that I can have a baby. I'm going to make you know, possibly change my work and change my relationships and change my possibly where I live and all these things to make this possible. And then the biggest gamble of all is, is will I be, will I be fertile once I right. get to, once I do all those changes? Cause I've never put it to the test. I've never, right. you know, you're like, accidentally I've specifically tried, yeah, specifically <laughs> tried not to, uh, you know, all things point that I should be, mm-hmm. but that there's no guarantees. Right. Um, where was I going with that? What was your question? Um, so I didn't, I had forgotten that the audience had not heard you mention that that was the biggest gamble. So I was uh, like, right. fertility testing. Oh yeah. Yeah. Right. So I went to my doctor because I'm aware I have thought about this and gone, Oh God, that's a really big gamble that I'm making. Right, right. Cause I really like my life right now. Let's mm-hmm. let me put that out there. I really mm-hmm. like what I've got going on. And if I didn't want kids, uh, I'd be really happy to continue on like this. How do you feel about adoption? Is that an option for you or is it like a fallback or not at all? I am open to adoption, uh, but I've heard that it's really difficult. And expensive. And expensive. And uh, that it's really difficult. So I don't know that I would be a, you know, ideal candidate because I'm a, you know, currently single and polyamorous and, you know, they, uh, they wouldn't give it to me first. Right. They'd give it to a couple. Yep. That probably was in a higher uh, income bracket. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It kind of shocks me when I think about like how much 
we spend on housing. And I don't know anything about this, so please correct me if I'm like wrong or if you're listening to this and you're like, this person clearly doesn't understand adoption. You'd be like, yup, he doesn't. Um, but in terms of adoption, I know that there is some public money that goes towards wards of the state. And it's surprising that that money doesn't get forwarded to whoever's taking care of the kid mm. and that we're not more willing to, to look at those sorts of options. Like I'd be super interested to see like what sorts of spaces can exist around like partial adoption or like, adoption on trial or like how that could look adoption on trial, sort of like a lease to own idea oh, it's, with it's a like, human? yes where you get paid money to take care of a human and oh, then at a certain point you adopt the human and i understand that that's often isn't that what foster care does quite possibly but does yeah. foster care lead to adoption sometimes? i believe that you can really? adopt after fostering but i don't know i haven't uh, actually looked into that it'd be super interesting to wonder if you can go the fostering route like if that's a thing that's possible yeah, I don't know. I haven't looked into it. <laughs> or <laughs> or possibly taking care of kids would be like, look, if you're not going to be the kid, I don't have time for you. <laughs> I'm just teasing. I don't actually mean that in any way seriously. This goes back to that trauma talk that got we you, had got earlier. You. <laughs> I think. <laughs> yes. Yes, it does. Uh, so to get back to your other question about... <laughs> look, it, I'll uh... make you a deal. Um, sure. About uh, fertility, I went to my doctor recently yes. and was there, um, you know, anyways, so I asked, I said, so here's the thing, I want to have a baby, uh, but I want to know, you know, before I make all these changes, if I'm fertile. So is there anything, like, how, can I test that before I, say, move to a bigger apartment and go all through all the, maybe change my job around so that I can have a baby any of those things and i was told yeah after you've been trying f unsuccessfully for a year to have to get pregnant then you can start doing stuff for fertility i was like ah uh, i see that is a really weird way to do testing or did did they mean like treatment for fertility um i'm not sure okay he just said basically try for a year yeah oh, try yeah. for a year and then uh, the options are that is the to most test like, or to yeah. That is the most test or treat or it, like it's so institutionalized and like policy written around monogamous couples. Yes, it is. It is so it is. not considering folks that have no. alternative lifestyles no, around having kids because the thought is well, you're in your couple, you're. Right. You can you just have the luxury of trying for a while and then yeah and it's like if, try if for it a doesn't year. work well you haven't you know changed that much probably or that that's jeez <laughs> and and that is so the same the same mindset I think is is frustrating sometimes when you're trying to have a kid as say a single parent mm. or as someone who's gender non-binary touching on what I was touching on earlier um, it, it's just the same idea of like well before i go and not necessarily pay for a donor because i think there are donors out there you don't have to pay for but there's so much involved even if you just want to be a single parent yeah and you're like i need so to make much sure. prep that i would have to do yeah before yeah and like why not yeah. test rather than like oh i'm pregnant now i can start getting ready now like, i that's have not you know eight months to get my shit together to change my job potentially yeah. to potentially be unemployed for an unknown to potentially period of time. move to a more suitable location to potentially to... find the right people to yeah. want to be in this with me yeah it's i mean a, presumably it's you've done that already but those people may find other other options for children if everyone is looking for 
if there's a timeline. Well, like, that's it, right? Uh, that's that's one thing is uh, if I uh, I am currently looking for a co-parent partner. Right. So my ideal would be to find someone who I could have an intimate relationship with, mm-hmm. who is also really enthusiastic about having kids. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, say I find that we go great. Let's give this a go. Try for a year. And, you know, then what if it turns out not fertile? That's like, oh, man, couldn't I have just found out before? It would have yeah. been so much nicer. Yeah, I'm curious what the testing is and I why they won't let you just do the testing. Because I would even just ask for a doctor to be like, hey, can I get a referral anyways? Like, here's my situation. Here's why I want a referral. Right. And if you don't get a referral, you can always ask a different doctor. Right. Um, And uh, I'm trying to think alternatively... I may know, I, I do know a fertility doctor and I do have the assistant's email address. And if you wanted, I could share that with you and you could email the assistant and ask them what they think your best options are. Hmm. But we can talk about this after the episode. Right. It's just because I've done fertility testing because I've been in that donor situation before. Ah, uh, neat. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, in terms of last questions, um, I'm, I think we've covered pretty much everything, but I'm, You've even mentioned your fears surrounding this process. I just am curious if you wanted to, them, yeah. if you <laughs> <laughs> if you wanted to talk maybe a little more about um, fears. Then I'd be interested in hearing a little more um, about that, and even stigma, like yeah, what the, what well, the, the underlying stigma, stigma is. I am definitely concerned about the stigma of poly with kids. I'm I'm actually one of the fears is whether that would be considered a unhealthy situation for kids by the general public or mm-hmm. by the authorities or, you know, what, what have I you. I think they considered an unhealthy situation for us as intelligent yeah, as adults, consenting yeah. adults. So the fact that there's already stigma around being non-monogamous mm-hmm. and then, but a lot of people are like, grumble, grumble, whatever. You're just ruining your own life. Right, right. If, if they don't agree with it and they're like, whatever. But as soon as you bring kids in, I think people get um, a lot more in your face yeah. and a lot more wanting to oh my uh, goodness. I was put looking... their values uh, in, like, inject yes. their values. So because this is their value system, they think that anybody doing anything else is therefore immoral or wrong or doing harm. Uh, and that gets into some pretty Nasty. awkward territory. Yeah. I mean, that happens a lot culturally, I think, where we see other uh, cultures doing mm. things that aren't al- in aligned with our values and then mm-hmm. possibly go in and, you know, quote, fix or teach oh, them better ways oh, that just because it's more in line with our value system. Right. Even if that involves the complete destruction or attempted complete destruction of another of, culture. Of their own culture and value systems. Yeah. Ooh, yes. Yeah. And I think people will do that with parenting on a lesser you know scale obviously that's the really da- drastic uh example yes like that, is, it back and that saying, is that is the 13 and parenting might be like a four or a five yeah, which is yeah, still yeah. bad but yes we're not likening those we're not likening cultural genocide to parenting no i'm just giving the example of we like thinking to change, that your own yeah. value system is the value system to go yes, by is yes. the like is the um gold standard of value system because that's what you believe yeah 
Yeah, in fact, I believe the um, the cultural appropriate example is the quote unquote golden rule to treat others how you want to be treated. Mm. Doesn't work super well for suicidal people though. Hmm. That's just encouraging mass shootings and saying that's following the golden rule. I don't so think I'm following you. Uh, the golden rule is to treat others how you want to be treated. So if you want uh, to die, it would justify right. killing as many people as uh, you want to I kill. Gotcha. So like the golden rule does not stand up to scrutiny, in my opinion. Right. Well, and we see that with um, relationship anarchy and love languages that mm-hmm. just because, say, some person's love language is gifts mm-hmm. doesn't mean that the other person, their partner, wants, wants to receive gifts, gifts yeah, back. That's, yeah. Yeah. Treat others how you want to be treated is fallible. Mm-hmm. Mm, yes, definitely. Yeah. Awesome. I think we did it. I think we got through talking <laughs> about babies and polyam, which is awesome. Yeah, actually, one one um, thing that I wanted to talk about with uh, polyamory and kids that because um, people are, have been asking me like. How does that look? And is it going to be healthy for kids to grow up in that environment? And, mm-hmm. uh, the What it makes me think of is the, nucle- you know, the cause nuclear it's, family. It's straying from the idea of the nuclear family mm-hmm. quite a bit. But I don't see most of families these days being nuclear anyways. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I'll use my own example is I, growing up, I had a mother who I lived with mm-hmm. and I had a stepdad mm-hmm. who I lived with at a certain point in my childhood. And I had my father who I would go see on weekends and sometimes we would go hang out with his girlfriend and her kids. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, that already is not the nuclear family, but it's yeah. really common. And more of my, more people that I know had some sort of, you know, quote, broken family or like yeah non-traditional nuclear family of one uh, Mm -hmm. one dad one mom Mm -hmm. then they did then i know people who had that situation so for me i see polly being similar to that except the parents would actually still love each other and still talk Mm -hmm. because you know in my situation it was there was all this animosity and between my mom and dad and they didn't Right. Like each other anymore. Mm-hmm. And there was fighting and there was resentment and, you know, possibly saying bad things about each other. And you only had possibly. My parents got divorced and it was like I couldn't get them to shut up about each right. other. Right. Yeah. Openly so tell them. Like, Polly, I'm like, <laughs> it would be like just like that, potentially, except with more love. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm like, how? So it kind of baffles my mind when people are asking, like, oh, Polly, do you think that's healthy for kids to have like a polyamorous way healthier than like, monogamous yeah, divorced couples depending on the couple yeah of course depending on the situation yeah. but yeah i don't see kids being damaged by seeing mm-hmm. people loving multiple people versus what i got to see was a lot of hate and a lot of anger and a yeah. lot of really unhealthy resentment. coping yeah, strategies exactly. to relationships not going well yeah where versus i would have I would have thought it would have been much better off to oh, totally. see people communicating mm-hmm. and uh, scheduling time and like looking at how, okay, well, I want to see this person, but we skills. have these needs. Yeah. The relationship skills that you need to success- successfully pull off a polyamorous um, situation. Yeah. yeah. Relationship. Or relationships. relationships. Yeah. 
uh, are really good skills to have in life. So Like even for non-romantic situations. Yeah. So having children raised in that environment, that seems like a pretty good thing to me. I agree. In fact, I was going to mention that like the co-parenting model has already been um, pioneered by divorced monogamous folks because there are so many divorced monogamous folks. Like we forget how high the divorce is. It's like they're going back and forth to like mm. they're spending half the week with one parent, half the week with the other parent. Or five days with this one and two days with that one. Or like like, going every other weekend to one parent. There's so we so already many, have these models. Yeah, there's so many styles. It's just the difference is a lot of times, not always, but a lot of times those people don't like each other anymore. Yeah. So there's tension and there's um, and animosity. Hopefully, hopefully, I would like to believe that non-monogamy would alleviate some of that. But I think in practice, I would be curious to see what the ratio is of like functional, healthy, non-monogamous parenting situations with ones where like... Um, jealousy or insecurity is creeping in. Right. And I would like to believe that even where jealousy and insecurity is creeping in, non-monogamy inherently professes this model of self-growth mm. and self-discovery and being kind and taking time with yourself. I would like to believe that even experiencing unhealthy relationships, that there would be a model of, of bettering one's health right. that is sometimes not there in monogamy. Mm. But I think in the end, people are just people and some of them are going to have coping skills and some of them are not. Yeah. I like to think the ones with better coping skills tend to be drawn to non-monogamy because it demands it of you. Yeah. And if you don't have them, you're either going to not practice non-monogamy anymore or you're going to get better at them. Yeah. Yeah. Because you have to. Yes. (laughs) I sometimes think that people get better at really hard life things only when they have to, or perhaps that's just me in my case. No, I think I agree. It's like they're too hard People grow through discomfort. Yeah. And I don't think people grow yeah. unless there is discomfort because there's no motivation to. Yeah. Why get off your ass and work on something hard when you're comfortable? Yeah. But if you have something that becomes uncomfortable, then you have to move. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, like just just like sitting in a chair. You're going to sit there until you're comfy, like as long as you're comfy. Yeah. And then once you're uncomfortable, then that's when you have to move. That's when you have to put effort into making it better. And it might be emotional discomfort of I've been sitting in this yeah. chair for four hours and I have things to do. But. Yeah. <laughs> It's still like some some motivation has to push you out of that chair. Yeah. Or yeah. push you out of that life mm-hmm. circumstance. Mm-hmm. It's usually discomfort. Mm-hmm. Even if it's the discomfort, like for me right now in this situation, I'm not uh, necessarily uncomfortable. Like that word is maybe a little bit of awkward to use, but it's a discomfort of the idea of missing my opportunity to have babies that is motivating me to make these life changes right now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm really comfy. But there is a discomfort from that fear of missing my opportunity to have babies. Right. When I know that that I really want that. Like this is something you've always wanted. Yeah. You're finally getting to this place where you're accepting like, I really want this lifestyle. I want it enough to make a change. What do those changes maybe look like? Right. Yeah. Well, good luck. I wish you the very best in making this work for yourself. Thank you. Awesome. Thank you, Intimates, for listening. Bloopers. That's, those headphones really work, eh? Hey? Yes, yes, yeah. they do. <laughs> so how did you like it, Intimates? Leave your comments on facebook.com slash intimate interactions or directly on patreon.com slash victor salmon. Both communities are easy to find from intimatepodcast.com. So what are you waiting for? Go join the free Intimates community and start connecting with others. I'll see you on there. Disclaimer. I apologize if I said something that hit a nerve or played off a hateful idea or stereotype. I'm open to being called in. 
chances are in six months, I'll look back aghast and see something problematic I've since grown from. I'm certainly not perfect, but I am trying to be mindful of the voices I lift up and the perspectives I encourage. You can email feedback to podcast at victorsalmon.com. Thanks for your kindness. Attribution. The tracks I use are published under the Creative Commons Attribution License. The intro track was Lost Souls by Portrayal, and the outro track was Restoration by Uncle Milk. Land Acknowledgement. I apologize first for any pronunciations I might butcher. I wanted to acknowledge that I recorded this podcast on the unceded traditional Coast Salish territories of the Musqueam, Kwantlen, Stazuminus, Stolo, Tsawasan, and Tsleil-Waututh nations. Shout out to the Sekwepmek Nation, on whose land I got my degree, considering the Kamloops Indian Residential School closed only in 1996 when I was 10, I have found nothing but unending patience and kindness in the Tekemlupste Sekwepmek folks with whom I've interacted. Let's never forget genocide in the hope we don't make the same dehumanizing, cruel mistakes again. Thank you.